I do bring you greeting from Big Creek Baptist Church, and it's good to have some folks from Big Creek here with us. And uh, do always look forward to coming to Emmanuel Baptist Church. Um, appreciate uh, Brother Dennis and Sister Rhonda. Um, I would say they sang, they sang my favorite song. And I keep telling them that every song they sing is my favorite song, but um, I do love that song that Brother Dennis wrote straightway. I think that second verse is probably as pure of the gospel as you can get in song message, and I'm thankful for it. And y'all watch Sister Judy when she leaves. She saw all those young folk up here, and she said, we could use a few of those back home. So she might try to run off with some of y'all, so make sure you watch her when you leave. I'm just warning you, and if it happens later on, it's beyond my control. Uh, our meeting, uh, we've been praying for y'all's meeting, really been praying for y'all's meeting. And uh, I, I don't know that much about what's going on in uh, Asbury uh, and the revival that keeps was keeping going for a while there. And uh, I told the church I was praying that revival services here in Kentucky and West Virginia here that our parking lots would be full and lined up. And uh, we've, we've really been praying that y'all have a really, the Holy Spirit comes in. I, I don't know what the Holy Spirit's will is for this country, and I hope it's for a revival. It might be for judgment. God's holy, and it's going to be whatever he has ordained to be. But I'm, I'm praying for mercy and grace for us and for you. And as Brother... The brethren have prayed thus far that you be filled with the Holy Spirit this evening. And I told the church I'm going to bring about four or five sermons in case you all do want to go all night. And uh, I, I've got them if you all decide. I, I, you know, I, I said that half jokingly, but, you know, when the Lord starts saving people, who would want to go home? And, you know, I know Brother Travis is here and other preachers might be here also, too, that... Uh, but uh, if y'all if y'all want me to, it's, it's it's in here. So you just let me know. Um, I was going to sing. Brother Dennis said that Sister Rhonda wasn't feeling well, and I said, "Well, make sure you bring your guitar." And he said, "I don't know if Rhonda's going to be able to come or not." And I almost I was this close to saying, "Well, Brother Dennis, I'll sing with you if you need me to." And then then he wouldn't have come there. So it's a good thing we didn't do that. <laughs> Romans chapter seven is where we'd like to preach from our revival meeting. You'd be praying for us uh, also as the last week of April. Uh, April 24th to uh, April 28th, and uh, we've got some pretty good speakers lined up except for Friday night. And uh, Friday night, somebody named John Lybrook is going to be preaching for us, and uh, you might not want to follow up there, but uh, we're really looking forward to revival too, we really hope. The, the reason that Brother John keeps coming back to Big Creek is right there. Every, every time we have a nomination to nominate a speaker, that's what Brother Dennis' hand goes up. I know what he's going to say. He can say, I nominate John Lybrook. You know, no, he's not the only one. Uh, we do love to have Brother John, and, uh, and we do appreciate. You know, if you have to worry about your, your, uh, your young ones, Sister Judy running off with them, you might want to worry about your pastor, too. Brother Dennis might run off with him. I like to start off with joy and, and uh, letting you know how much I love y'all and how much I appreciate coming to Emmanuel and preaching for you. Uh, but the Lord gave me a message tonight that's not such a joyful message. 
And, uh, and a lot of times I, I think that uh, that's the way revivals have to start out with, with that old doctrine of total depravity. Um, it's not, you know, my dad always pre- used to preach the good news starts with some bad news. And the title of my message this evening is The Desperate Plight of a Sinner. And um, if there's unsaved people here tonight, they're in a perilous state without Jesus Christ. And the message will be for you. But it's also for those of us that go out into the world and sometimes we just casually watch those people walk past us that are in the same state. Lost in our neighbors, our families, our loved ones are lost and undone. They're in a desperate plight because they're still sinners under the condemnation of a righteous and holy God. Total depravity is a personal, usually we say it's a universal doctrine, and as we come to start to look at it a little bit, uh, tonight I would like to focus more on the personal aspect than the universal aspect. I, I want you to know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's a universal aspect of total depravity. It's total, and that there's none that escapes from that. It's also total in the fact that you are totally depraved and that's kind of the aspect we want to look at this evening Romans chapter 7 is not necessarily always where I would naturally come in some ways because the apostle Paul as he writes this you you understand he's a saved person but he's still got that sin plagued body that the sinner has in Romans chapter 7 and verse number 9 he says for I was alive without the law once and I think that's talking about before he was came to the age of accountability I was alive without the law once but when the commandment came Sin revived and I died. He became accountable for his sins. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. The conviction of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. And as Brother Dennis taught a couple weeks ago that in your sinner you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. And sometimes we want to, we want to point at the preacher or point at the word of God and, and blame them for the discomfort that we get. But it's, it's our sin that does that. Was then that which is good, speaking of the law, made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, the law, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. That we might get to that point where sin is not just, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not getting everything right. But I want you to get to the point where it becomes exceeding sinful. Where you can't get away from it. For we know that the law was spiritual. The Apostle Paul is saying this, but you know, that's the plight of a sinner. But I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Do you find yourself doing that? We're going to get to that in the message here. If if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Apostle Paul, if he has to fight sin, how much more Matt Step? How much more you and I? For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no 
good thing. If you want a text verse on total depravity, that's, that's a pretty good one, isn't it? For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law. You know what a law is? That's when Isaac Newton throws that apple up and every time it comes down. You know, if you do it once or twice, huh, there's something about that. Yeah, apple comes down every time. You know, if it does it every time, we call it a law. You throw an apple up, it's going to fall down. That's the law of gravity. There's a law when you get on the highway, get out there, if it might be 55, might be 70 or whatever, and you go faster than that, blue lights might come on in your rearview mirror because when they pull you over, well, sir, what are you pulling me over for? There's a law. And it works on everyone all the time. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. That's the law of the bondage of the will, the bondage of sin. Apostle Paul says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Our text verse for this evening is, O wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And I'm not going to read verse 25 right now. And not that, not that point in our message. I just want you to think about, O wretched man that I am. The desperate plight of a sinner. The desperate plight of you. Apostle Paul in this chapter it points out that we're still being plagued by that disease, that law of sin. I want, I've got three points in my message. My wife always tells me, don't tell him you got three points. Most time I want to get to my first point. But I, I'm going to get through three points tonight, Lord willing. The first one is that the sinner is helpless. The second is that the sinner is hapless. And the third is that the sinner is hopeless. The desperate plight of a sinner. The first aspect of that the sinner is helpless in our, in our natural state. Back in the book of uh, Jeremiah chapter number 13 is a familiar passage to most of you all, and you probably have it marked. Um, when you say someone's helpless, and it has a, the thought process of they can't do it. You know, you, you come up to this first step, and, and I easily stepped up that, but I saw the, the little one come up here and struggle to get up that little step there. And sometimes those little ones will turn around when that step's too big and Daddy, I can't. I can't do it. And I, I'm, you know, it's the, the thought process is they're helpless. And they're, they're thinking, you know, whether it's back of their mind or not, or maybe that's a, out in front of their mind, that daddy will help them up. Or mommy will help them up. When I say the sinner is helpless, there's no one to help. Not in this world. I might constantly refer to as I talk about someone that's helpless except for Jesus Christ because that's the verse I didn't read back there. I thank God through our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Can you imagine being helpless? Can you imagine positions in your life where you come up and you can't do it? You know, when somebody happens, y'all pray for my family. I've got several I've mentioned to you over the years I've come here. My nephew was arrested a few years ago because of drug usage. Some of the worst kind, that meth stuff. And going through a process of parole, had to go to jail for a little bit. Was doing really good. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, he failed his test again. He's doing it again. I know some of you all have addiction in your families. You've been around somebody that's addicted. It is so hard. Do everything you can to help them. Don't be an enabler, but do everything you can to help them. Pray for them. Bring them before the throne of grace. Have your church family pray for them. Everything you can. He's a good kid. They're good kids in our society, but they're helpless. They can't help themselves. A free will doctrine, make a choice. I saw a lot of billboards out there now talking about people quitting smoking, how difficult that is. And they, they started this new program, Monday Quitters. You know why they have to do it? Because every time they, by the time Friday comes around, they've messed up again. We've messed up again. We're going to start all over again. Make another decision for Christ. Because we're helpless. We can't do it in... Uh, Jeremiah 13, verse 23 says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. Yeah, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about changing the skin and the leopard his spots and how impossible that is. But do you notice what it says there? Then may ye also be saved. It doesn't say that. Not even something huge like that, but just the little thing that, you, that the Ethiopian changes skin or leopard's body. Then may ye also do good. One little thing is good. Can't even do that. Why? Because we're helpless. The desperate plight of a sinner is that he cannot help himself one iota to do one good thing. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? You know, I thought about that in, in today's vernacular. There's a lot of people trying to change who they are. They're trying to change, well, I was born a woman, but I'm going to be a man. You can't do that. I mean, you can have all the surgeries you want and all that stuff like that, but your DNA is still the same. Genetically, you're still the same. You can't do that. I don't think Jeremiah ever fathomed how far we'd go trying to get around this helplessness of total depravity. Can't change your eye color. You can put contacts in, but you still got the same color eyes. You can go down to the beach and, and lay out and tan for a while, but once you get back home, your skin's going to turn back the same color it was. You haven't changed a thing. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? And may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. The first aspect of a sinner being helpless is that he has no ability. No ability. 
A lot of times the, the English teacher will try to tell you the difference between may, can, and will, and all this. And can is, is the one we're talking about here as far as ability. Now, you may be able to advance to the next grade, but I can't. I lack it in this or whatever. You may be, may be allowed to do this, and maybe the interstate says you can go 70 miles an hour, but I'm putting along in, in Dad's old van, and I can't do it. You know, the inability is what we're talking about. There are not enough horses under the hood or whatever it might be. No ability. In the book of Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite verses to go to as far as the aspect of ability, infinity, Ecclesiastes chapter number 7 and verse number 13 says, Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? Who can make that straight? Who can make that right again? You know, I, I install garage doors for a living and have for many years. And uh, I get those garage doors out of the bundle and I'm ready to put it up. And, you know, beautiful new garage door that customer, you know, paid for it. And then I look at it and somebody's put a dent in it. And metal, when you put a dent in it, it stretches. And, you know, and I can get my hammer out, I can get my block of wood out there because I don't want to leave the hammerhead on it. And I've learned that in the first few times I did that when I was younger. I just made it worse. That's our second point, actually. Just make it worse. But, you know, I get that out, and I, and I can make it incrementally better, but I can't make it right again. I can't. You know, it's like crying over spilled milk. You can't fix that. There's no ability to fix that. No matter what you do, we can't. And, you know, what? who can make that straight? And you can look at it as much, and you say, well, I, that's pretty good. But it's not good yet, is it? That's pretty close to perfect. You can ask my dad how much I like that word perfect. Every once in a while I'll do something right and, they'll, and, and my wife will say, that's perfect. I say, yeah, you're looking at it, yeah. You know, but it's not really perfect, is it? Only God can make something perfect. You know, as I thought about going back to that garage door thing, if you want to make that metal perfect again, you know what you got to do? you got to reforge it. You know, you can't just... You know, like the flood washed the face of the earth clean, but the only way the earth is going to be made right is when the elements melt with fervent heat. On a molecular, atomic level, God is going to reforge this earth, and that's the only way it can be made right again. It's somebody that has the power of infinite power, of omnipotent power, can fix this, and that's Jesus Christ. Is the only one we can't. We're helpless. When I say that there is no ability for us to save, you know, I've, I've written my notes here. You know when we can do it? When pigs fly. That's what's in my notes. I don't know if you're familiar with that saying, when pigs fly, or I don't like to use the other one, but it says when hell freezes over. That's a pretty deep thought there when you use something like that. That ain't going to happen. Right. You know, that's what we're talking about here with this inability. It ain't going to happen. Not on our own. Because the desperate plight of a sinner is he's helpless. He has no ability. The second aspect of this helpless is that we have no strength. We have no strength. He can't even lift a finger. 
to help ourselves. You know, usually that's not what the world teaches. The world teaches you start lifting your finger, then God will finish it off for you, whatever it is. We can't even lift a finger. That's how desperate the plight of a sinner is. That's how truly helpless without help. That's what helpless means. In Hebrews chapter 10, you think, well, if I do this or if I do that, if I sign the church card, if I, if I say the right words, what part of no don't you understand of total depravity? Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 4. I just want you to look at the first five words there. It says, for it is not possible. It's talking about that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. It's talking about our works. The things that we can do. I can slaughter a calf or I can slaughter a goat and, and put the blood on the altar and then God will have respect for me. The Bible says it's not possible. That's only a picture of the true Lamb of God that's going to be sacrificed for us. The only hope we have is that we have a helper. Because we're helpless. We have no strength. You know, as you start thinking about what Jesus Christ did for us, it says in verse 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body, the body of Christ... Jesus Christ himself, hast thou prepared me a perfection body. In burnt burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. You know what Jesus Christ did? He is the most awesome person in the world. Did you know that? I hope you know that. He is the most awesome God, awesome person. He is the strongest person I know. He is the most compassionate person I know, the most tender-hearted person I know. And a lot of times we, we dwell upon that because we need that. We need somebody to have mercy upon us. We need somebody to love us. We need somebody to take care of us. Why? Because we're helpless. But you know, even if I said, Jesus, I don't want you to die for me. I'll, I'll do it myself. You can't do it. You go on the cross at Calvary. Let me ask you a question. Can you go to the cross at Calvary and die for all of your sins in three hours? Can't do it. You know how long it's going to take you? It's not really a measurement of time. Anytime I I refer to eternity at our church and I go outside and I say, well, eternity is going to last for so long. Brother Jerry's always, doesn't always do that, but he we kind of got this thing going, and he'll tell me, you know, there's no such thing as measuring eternity. And you can't say for eternity for so long. I say, well, Jerry, how am I going to say that? that people understand. There is no end to eternity. I think I used the illustration this week when I was talking to church. I said, you know that these stars are infinite. And you know what that means when it says infinite? That means if you count all that you see, there's more beyond that. And you count all those, there's more. If you count all those, there's more. That's what infinite means. And you know what God said? I know them all. I, I just said that you can't know them all because there's more there. And God says, I know all of them. You know why? Because he's infinite too. And it took an infinite son of God 
It took an infinite son of man to take my place. But it took an infinite son of God to be able on the cross at Calvary to powerfully and omnipotently pay for all of my eternal sins. And not mine only, but all of Brother John's too. And that's probably twice as many of You know, all of the sins of every one of the elect of God from the time that Adam sinned to the time he takes us out. Every one of them. And he paid for it in three hours. That's how strong God is. And that's how helpless I am. And you are. Can you die forever? Not necessarily just in three hours, but can you? Let me tell you, you will. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you'll die forever and ever and ever. Because you'll never reach the point where you say, I've died for all of them. You know why? Because you can't. You're helpless. Have you ever got to the point where you realized you're helpless? If you haven't, you've never been saved. If you've never got to the point where you could not do it. Jesus, you have to do it. I trust you, Jesus. You know, that's what faith and repentance is, is turning away from trusting in ourselves, in our helpless condition, and trusting Jesus Christ. And I encourage you. I implore you. I tell you, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your sins tonight, I like the, the song that the fellows sang there, Why Not Tonight? You know, because we have no promise of tomorrow. Come, claim the promises of God. Oh, helpless sinner. The second aspect we're gonna, that we're looking at tonight is that the sinner is hapless. And I've, I've, I've used this, this phrase, sinners are helpless, hapless, and hopeless, but I've never really preached it until I put this message together a few months ago. And I really never really delved into what this word hapless means. And the word hapless, you know, usually you think of somebody that is hapless, they're an unlucky person. That bad things just seem like they happen to them all the time. And, you know, no matter what they do, the first person, I don't know if I should use this or not, the first person that came to mind was Gilligan off Gilligan's Island. I don't know if you've ever watched that show, but they're always about to be rescued. And then Gilligan, hapless, does something wrong. An unfortunate person he is. But the message tonight is not about Gilligan. It's about you in your natural state and in your unnatural state. Apostle Paul says, when I would do good, evil is always present. You know, and I find myself, I find this a law that I, that I fail and, I'm, and, 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 I, and I can't do what I want to do. It's partly helpless, but it's a lot hapless that we have here. Uh, as I started to dissect the word hapless, and I didn't, hadn't, like I said, I hadn't really thought about it. And I think the, as you dissect it, it means no happiness. No happiness. Hapless, happiless. That's where the first one was helpless, no help. And the last one we're talking about would be hopeless, no hope. But this, this, happy, no, this hapless is, is this unfortunate person, and the circumstances are, just seem like they're against us. Because they are. When it seems so hard to, to kick those addictions that you get stuck on, so very hard and difficult. It's because it is hard and difficult. 
You know, the opposite of being hapless is being blessed of God, being made happy by God. And so this, this hapless falls under the aspect of being cursed, under this curse of sin. And sin will drag you down, will cost you more than you want to pay. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. The, the, the aspects of this happiness, the circumstances against us. I thought about it, and you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Murphy's Law. You know, in garage doors, there's a lot of Murphy's Law going around. And sometimes at the end of the day, you say, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. That's Murphy's Law. Everything that could go wrong does go wrong for a hapless sinner. Just when you think you've got things going together good, here comes another wave of unhappiness, of unblessings, of curses, traps, trials, tribulations, temptations on every hand. You know, in this cursed world, this, these circumstances are stacked against you. You say, everything, you know, I, I tried to do good. I tried to do my best. I tried to do this. I tried to do that. I tried to turn over a new leaf. Didn't work, did it? Because we're hapless. That's what we have here. You know, I was thinking about uh, Esau and Jacob. You know, a lot of times, you, and I've really come to a different perspective of Jacob. This last time I studied him, and I, I've really come... And he's one of my favorites now. But, you know, I used to think, and a lot, a, lot of, a lot of times when you think about Jacob and Esau, Jacob was a trickster, and he tricked Esau out of this, and he tricked Esau out of that, and he did this. And, and well, Esau's really the good guy, isn't he? Almost in some perspectives. But, you know, he's one of the most hapless people there is, too. Because he never did anything right. He may have not been guilty of the things that we think Jacob's guilty of. But, you know, every time he tried to do something that was right, again... Again, mom's dad's mad at me because I married these girls. And they, I heard them say that they wanted Jacob to marry somebody that's not a Canaanite. And I've got Canaanite wives. So what did he do? He went out and married a couple of Ishmaelites. Well, they're family. And he messed up again. And he can't do anything right. Not in the eyes of God anymore. This hapless situation, Cain will keep on messing up the rest of his life you know i think that's one of the saddest verses of the bible there in genesis chapter 4 it said cain went out from the presence of the lord and took his family too you know you know this this hapless state is what we do to each other in this world too that this hapless state is living in a world of uncontrolled chaos where it seems like on every hand the trials and tribulations are coming in, the bad news is coming in here, the bad news is coming in here, and we just hunker down as much as we can almost. I thought about those waves at the ocean. And, you know, I used to get out there, and I used to be able to play for quite a while out there and jump over those waves or dive into those waves. And, and you know, every once in a while I get a little bit too far out, and, you know, sometimes it's barely making it back, and, and really, the last few times I've been there, I really need to get in better shape. I, I was exhausted. I just breathed. I, I don't know if I can do this more. And here, I'm, I'm still way out there. You know what I usually do? I say, stop, waves. It'd be really cool if somebody could do that, wouldn't it? There is somebody that can do that. There's someone that can say, peace, be still. In your life, I'm talking about. 
Not just the waves, he can do that. But you know what? The hapless state that we are, all of these bad things coming in, you know there's someone that can say, peace, be still. And change your life from a hapless state where all these bad things are happening. You know what the opposite of Murphy's Law is? It's Romans 8.28. You like that? Romans 8.28 is all things work together for good. With his qualifications to them that love God, to them who are the called, the elect, according to his purposes. But you know, it's absolutely true. All of the things that used to bother us so much, you know, I used to get mad and I used to kick and I used to, well, you know, all this because I was hapless. But now, now when bad things happen in this world, I bow my head and pray to the one that can say, peace be still. Because I'm hapless no longer. There's hope in these verses. There's hope in these, this message here. And I, and I want us to start off and see how, how helpless we are and how hapless we are and how, how useless. In, in Luke chapter 18, uh, a couple of uh, hapless fellows here in, in Scripture. And sometimes, you know, I, I say it's the, the Pharisee and the publican. And as soon as I say Pharisee and the publican, all the kids are going to say, Yeah, the Pharisee's the bad guy and the publican's the good guy. Well, actually, they're both bad guys, aren't they? You know, I was thinking about that. And, you know, um, th- th- it's a perfect picture. In uh, Luke chapter 18 and verse number 10 says, Two men went up in the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. And you can see this guy, he thinks he's doing everything to help himself. And he hadn't helped himself at all. He's no more rescued than Gilligan is. Just look at him. He's continuing. He says, I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I ain't like this guy. I ain't like that guy. And yet he's still going to hell. Because he's hapless. You can't help yourself. And you can't get out of that hapless situation by yourself. The publican, you might think he's good. But you understand what a publican is back in uh, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 17. I was just doing a, a word search for publicans and, and I was wanting to get maybe Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is a perfect example of a hapless Christian. You know, he'd heard of Jesus Christ. Well, that's a good thing, you think. And he found out his, his flight pattern, his, his route he was going to take. And he got ahead of him and climbed up in that sycamore tree where he'd have a first-rate view of him. And he's going to save himself, right? Isn't that what happens at the end? No, he doesn't. You know what? When Jesus came that way, if Jesus would have looked up there and then just kept on walking, poor old hapless Zacchaeus. Even though he did everything right, still no hope. It took Jesus saying, Zacchaeus, you come down. I see you. I'll take care of you. I'll change your life for you. Zacchaeus can't do it. You know, a publican can't do that by himself. In uh, Matthew chapter 18, is that where I told you to go? Verse 17. It says, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. This last part of the, the uh, uh, church discipline. 
And you know, I, it's talking about a saved person most likely because it's talking about a church member. But you can almost see this. You know, it says if he neglect to hear them. And sometimes, you know, we have this dispute between us and, you know, I don't want to hear it. So two or three come. That's what you're supposed to do. And the two or three come and they say, you know, you know Brother Matthew, or we, we've, we've listened to both sides and you're wrong. I am not. That's what Matt Stepp always says. And then I go home and Becky tells me, yeah, you are. But, you know, uh, and, and, you know, and then it goes to the church. And then they discipline me. And listen to me, this is what I say in my hapless state. I go home and I tell Becky, you're not going to believe it now. They disciplined me. How come everybody in the world is wrong and I'm the only one that's right? How come everybody else in the world knows it, but I don't? Because I'm hapless. I can, I, I'm one of the best in the world at rationalizing and justifying my actions. Well, I'm not as bad as they are, you know. Well, you know, and I meant good or whatever like that, but that doesn't do a, a bit of good to a sinner to tell Jesus Christ, well, I meant better. I tried. I did what I thought was right. I fulfilled everything on the law as that Pharisee's talking, but you never changed your heart. Again, helpless and then hapless. Last point in my message. The first of my three messages, right? The last point in my message is the sinner is hopeless. I almost weep every time I say that, hopeless. You know what? Hope is... And faith and trust are almost always pointed towards the future, aren't they? And when you say someone has no hope, you're basically saying they've got no future. If you're here tonight and you're a sinner, the desperate plight of a sinner is that you have no future. You're locked in and zeroed in with your lust and your desires and your sin. And you're going to end up in hell. A place of hopelessness. A place of no future. A sinner is hopeless. You know, if, if I could infuse you with hope this evening, it can only be through Jesus Christ. Because there's nothing else in this world that you can trust in. It's all going to be burned up. You know, even the things in this world, you know, I, I could tell you, you know, a nice, shiny, brand-new Corvette could really make your life a lot better. That Corvette will rust, won't it? It would be washed away in a flood. It'll, for my luck, I'd put it in the wrong gear and blow it up. I'm hopeless. That's what we are. In our, in our natural state, we have no hope. And we can never... The first aspect of this hopelessness is that we can never conjure up faith in God. And I use that word conjure there simply because that's what a lot of atheists do. And they think that's what faith is, is just some sort of magical thing that we're trusting in. You know what I'm trusting in? A real person. I'm trusting in a real book. This book has never been proven wrong. 
You know, as the geologists and the archaeologists, they keep digging out in the, in the, in the Israel, the Holy Land, in the Middle East, or wherever they're at. You know what they keep doing? They keep verifying our Bible. Sargon didn't know he was there. He's there. David, and there, there's no David in the archaeology until, what, the 1960s? And David, 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 all across that city of Jerusalem. And every time, it proves that the Bible is right. The Bible is true. The Bible is inerrant. And it's never been wrong. And the Bible in Psalms 14. And verse number 1. I thought I had that marked. Psalms 14. is what Apostle Paul quotes in Romans chapter 3. It says the fool, that's modern translation is atheist, is fool. Because it says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. But you know, there's a, there's a lot of people that, in this world that call themselves atheists. And there's a lot of people in this world that live like they're atheists. And sometimes they're church members that are living like God's not really watching. That God's not really involved and that's a foolish thing to do. Lord, help us. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven. And this is our point for hopefulness. Well, maybe he'll find someone. Maybe Abraham had hope and said, and Lord, if you find 50 righteous in Sodom, will you destroy it for the, the sake of the 50 that are righteous? The Lord said, I won't do that. And gave Abraham what? Hope. Abraham started, well, Lord, what if there's only five lacking of that? I won't, kill it. I won't destroy it for 45. I won't destroy it for 40. As Abraham, uh, I don't know if it's proper to say that, Jewed him down, but he's a Jew. So, you know, 30, 20... Ten, Lot, his wife, two married daughters, their son, husbands, two. I think ten's all right. And he had hope. You know what? There wasn't. This world's hopeless. You know, if he'd gone down to four, he would have, but God knows that. God knows the elect. We don't know that. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. And they are all hopeless. That's what the Bible says. This Bible that's never been proved wrong. This Bible that's inerrant. This Bible that's holy. says they are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is total depravity as we've, we've mentioned. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. No hope. You can't find somebody to help you because there's none that doeth good. We need a whole different level of hope than we can find in this world, and it's only found in Jesus Christ. Oh, wretched man that I am, remember our text? That we might come to that point. You know, a lot of times we think total depravity is the, the bad part of the doctrines of grace, but it's the best part. Because it's the one that brings Jesus to the fore. That we need him. I guess I can't say it's the best part because they all stand and fall together. 
can't have one without the other. You can't have that particular redemption unless you have the total depravity. You can't have the unconditional election unless you've got the perseverance and preservation. God's going to have that. And that irresistible generation where God says he gives gift, he gives life to those that are hopeless. Those that will never believe on their own. Those that were continuing to travail in this world of woes. The sinner is hopeless. As you think about the gap between us and God, go to Isaiah chapter 6. Go to Ezekiel chapter 1. Go to the Revelation chapter 4 and 5 and look upon the throne room of God where they're 24-7 around the throne are saying, holy, 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 extraordinary, exceptional, uh, you know, pure and spotless that God is. We can't touch that. You know, I was thinking about that infinity and thinking about how long it would take us to take care of those things. We talked about that a little bit when we talked about infinity. You know how holy God is? You can't put a measurement on him. You know how holy Matt Step is? You can't put a measurement on him about how unholy I am. That's why hell is eternal. That's why all the eternal and the infinite and all those extraordinary words have to be used. It's because of the hopeless state that we're in. Again, like I said, I think the revivals have to start off with us knowing how desperate the plight is. Amen. If you're saved here tonight, you've been saved out of that desperate plight. But there's a world of people out there that haven't been. The revival that Emmanuel Baptist Church and all of us other churches that are praying for you is praying for begins in you. It begins in your heart. Not up here begins in your heart that you'd have a fire for Jesus Christ, that you'd have a burden for lost souls, that this week I'm not going to go past that person that's helpless. I'm not going to go past that person that's hapless. I'm going to stop and tell them about the hope, the happiness, and the help that they can find in Jesus Christ alone. That's what revival is. May the Lord give you what you're praying for and what you're asking for. And I pray as the week goes on, the Lord will continue to send the Holy Spirit to change you, to transform you, to turn you into something that you weren't at the beginning of the week by the sovereign grace of God. Brother John, you're going to...